Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome back to Mid-Atlantic. As you've probably heard me say before, uh, Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network, a network of great independently produced podcasts from all over the world. Uh, each month we nominate a show to specifically to promote, and this month is Dominic Perry's excellent The History of Egypt podcast. Um, why don't you go over to the Agora Podcast Network or to iTunes or Stitcher or a podcatcher of your choice today to give it a listen. If you really want to build a more equal, just and sustainable Britain, then we have to do things differently. We can't stand by while ordinary ordinary people are locked out of politics. And we can't wait for progressive parties to get their act together. We have to win together. We have to win together. The kind of change we need comes when we realise our power. We're organising a force for change with ordinary people at its heart where the progressive movement will find the energy to lead us into the future. Developing leaders, transforming neighbourhoods, disrupting politics from the ground up. We'll equip them with the skills to build power. From the estate to the ballot box, we'll back people to win. We'll back our leaders to win. To lead us into the future. We can can win. win. We can win. We can win. Please contact us and join our campaign at wecanwin.co.uk. We can win. We can win. We can win. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Today I'm joined by Reggie Hubbard, Democratic Party operative from Maryland and in London by Alex Thwaite of the Echo Chamber. Say hello all. Hi everyone. Cheers, hello. 
I love these enthusiastic responses I, I get from my <laughs> pundits. I am your host, Royfield Brown, in a week that has seen leaks from the Trump White House and the Speaker of the House of Commons outburst against the President of America speaking in Parliament. We chart another week in the alt-right's attempted takeover of the world. The ice, the right, 494. The no, the left, 122. The ice, to the right, 494. The no, the left, 122. The the eyes of it. The eyes of it. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Well, there we are. As expected, very comfortable. Bit of laughter in the house there. The UK government's Brexit bill was passed overwhelmingly by 494 votes to 122. Yesterday, the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, signalled that this was the right time to fight for workers' rights. Alice, was this too little and too late? <laughs> um, Jeremy Corbyn has been a real funny one over this whole Brexit proceedings, hasn't he? he he's tried to not have an opinion whilst being forced to have an opinion. Um, I, I mean, in, in, in some ways I can kind of empathise with it because the workers technically um voted well technically according to the, the poll data that we have they they were the people who really wanted brexit to happen it was a protest vote against the metropolitan elite is kind of now the received um response to what happened to brexit and maybe it is just the time that now when it comes to not passing the bill through but actually what is the detail of the bill then that might be something that corbyn was um was looking to get at but again i think that the whole response to him has been complete ridicule um particularly i saw from nicholas sturgeon kind of tweeted something quite disparaging towards him but nicholas sturgeon as much as i admire her as a very strong female politician um she does have uh she likes to poke and cause fights i think more than necessarily get um a political point across so I, like I say, I think I do empathise with it and I can totally see how you can immediately take the mick out of what he's saying there. Um, but again, it, it's just one of these things that we'll have to wait and see. And let's be quite honest, no one actually knows what Brexit will entail. So that's is that, a slightly different Alice, perspective. Alice, is that say, re really the case now? I think it's becoming increasingly clear that it's going to be a hard Brexit. We're going to be out of the EU in two years probably on um, you know quite scant terms and and that's just about it it's a case of we are getting out so you say that but also so Theresa May when she made her only statement about Brexit actually said that a lot of the details she was specifically not going to be um, talking about in the open because um, of negotiations she kind of wanted to keep her cards close to her chest so Yes, we do have some of the details, like um, in terms of what they're looking for in terms of customs and trade and how they think that we can trade our security and almost kind of spying for better t terms and a better deal. Um, but I do think that there is a lot there that can't be discussed in the open according to May. So I don't actually think we have that much of an idea at all, nor will we have much of an idea until 
um, kind of the details kind of get published by the government. Whether or not you think that's a good or a bad thing, um, I mean, again, I can kind of see both sides to that. Um, I haven't actually made up my mind on whether or not there should be public discussion or not, because ultimately those good discussions could be heard by all around the world, which won't necessarily be a good thing. Um, but no, I don't think it's particularly clear about what's going to happen at all. And whether or not Corbyn, um, Sturgeon, um, Farron, who desperately wants to get in on this as well, will be privy to those conversations. I mean, I'd be interested to find out exactly what the government thinks about having other party leaders um, views expressed when it comes to the negotiations. Um, with MPs voting against guaranteeing the rights of EU citizens in the UK before Theresa May triggers Article 50, um, how, do, how, do, how does that resonate to you, Reggie, somebody who used to actually live in, in Brussels, has actually lived in Europe and also is a bit of an Anglophile? Um, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but for starters, um, well, before we uh, get into the uh, Trump commentary, I found it interesting that the Speaker of the House of Commons, uh, who is a conservative, is uh, actually being the guiding light on racial issues, issues of racial justice, uh, talking to, to our conservative party, which I think is hilarious. Um, but I, as a globalist, as a global humanitarian, am against anything that restricts the rights of people uh, to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of, uh, pursuit of happiness. Maybe that's an American bent. Uh, so we don't um, believe in that in the UK. No, 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 no. <laughs> Grey skies, rain, uh, you know, <laughs> warm beer. Bland that's what food, we believe right. In. Warm beer, right. Bland food. I know, yeah, somewhat of an outdated stereotype of, of life in, in the UK. But, you need to come um, to London and, yeah, and have some of the amazing food that we've got here. I, true that. I, I spent a lot of time in Scotland as well, so maybe maybe my comments are tailored towards that. Too much haggis, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Lord, exactly. Um, Royfield, anything, anything that restricts um, the rights of people to move freely, which is in the Charter of the EU, um, or... Anything that sets up the baseline for xenophobia globally, I'm against. But I suppose, uh, going back to Alice's point before, that I, not having this directly in the bill means that it can be negotiated. It gives us some kind of leverage of strength, us being the UK government in terms of its negotiations with the, with the EU. On the face mm -hmm. of it, to me, it sounds absolutely terrible. But when you sit down and think about it, it's a negotiating tactic and surely what the the UK government is not going to do in three years time, two years time is start to round up all those Italian pizzeria owners or those <laughs> French uh, baguette makers in, in central London and, right. and uh, turf them out of the UK. Right. Yeah, we, we're we're going to have those issues here. Like um, you all, you all will not have those issues. Yeah, but your your Italian pizzeria makers are all like six generation or so, aren't they? It's the Mexican taco drivers right. that, that need to worry. Exactly. Oh, Lord. And this is the heart of the issue as well. So I'm glad we're talking about those Italian pizzeria. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, this bill has now gone up to the upper chamber and the government doesn't have a majority there. Are we actually going to see some worthwhile amendments to the bill, do you reckon? Oh, so the Lords is interesting at the moment because the Lords have currently been complaining that they've had to do, well, actually this was about three or four months ago, wasn't it? That they were complaining that they had far too much work to do because the Commons was in absolute disarray with the dissolution of the Labour Party and the constant leadership elections. So they were actually acting as an have opposition. Have you got a crystal ball? 
I think the Labour Party hasn't been dissolved just yet. <laughs> it's in meltdown, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, poor choice of language there. But uh, yeah, I do, I do remember reading a couple of comments from Lords there saying that they, they felt that they were taking up the role of the opposition. So I would think that it would be foolish of a house that represents the metropolitan elite to vote against something which kind of was a protest vote. I mean, one of my main concerns at the moment is just how divided communities are. And I think that's true both in the UK, France, Germany, Italy, and obviously in the US. And anything that kind of promotes this division, I I, I kind of am quite scared about. Um, But I do know that that is a a very personal view. Um, But we'll have to see. I mean, if the Lords actually have been quite, the Lords have been quite subtle recently and and I think quite um, gentle with the way that they've been proceeding. So I wouldn't like to predict anything on that front, but I imagine that it will be done with great care um, compared to what's going on in the House of Commons at the moment. That before the imposition of the migrant ban, I would myself have been strongly opposed to an address by President Trump in Westminster Hall. After the imposition of the migrant ban by President Trump, I am even more strongly opposed to an address by President Trump in Westminster Hall. So far as the Royal Gallery is concerned, and again, I operate on advice, I do not perhaps have as strong a say in that matter. It is in a different part of the building, although customarily an invitation to a visiting leader to deliver an address there would be issued in the names of the two speakers. I would not wish to issue an invitation to President Trump to speak in the Royal Gallery. And I conclude by saying to the Honourable Gentleman this. We value our relationship with the United States. If a state visit takes place, that is way beyond and above the pay grade of the speaker. However, as far as this place is concerned, I feel very strongly that our opposition to racism and to sexism and our support for equality before the law and an independent judiciary are hugely important considerations in the House of Commons. Reggie, uh, you touched on this before in the fact that Speaker Burkow emphatically said that Donald Trump would not be welcome speaking in front of the House of Commons. As an American, didn't you feel slighted that your head of state was was spoken of in such a manner? Uh, I surely do not feel that way. Um, and you know, for those of us over here, so I'm I'm kind of a global political nerd, and that I would stay up late at night and watch the replays uh, from the House of Commons, and so I have a bit of a uh, Good fancy brief. of watching the way y'all um, do your political business over there. So. Normally, to, we at this point, I'd say, if this had been pre-June the 23rd, I'd say we'd do our political business with decorum, with sense, and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and actually show you Americans how it's done. But I can't say that anymore. But anyway, go, as you were, sir. Uh, I mean, but it could be argued that, you know, we have ceded the turf 
of uh, of sanity potentially back to the House of Commons or the House of Lords because the way that our Congress and Senate are acting are shades of antebellum uh, American senatorial behavior, like antebellum meaning before the Civil War, uh, especially with the confirmation of Sessions last night. Um, no, I don't feel it's a slight. I think that um, any measure of rebuke that the president can get as, with, with respect to global acknowledgement of human rights um, is a good thing. And uh, the language which the speaker used for me was actually quite comforting. Um, and I'm not quite sure how it will uh, play itself out with respect to him speaking to the monarchy or speaking to the House of Lords. Um, but the fact that anyone is running counter to giving this gentleman being our president anything that he wants, uh, I'm all for that. Just lastly on this, Alice, um, some Tory MPs aren't exactly happy about what Speaker Burko said and want to censure him. Are they right? Uh, Are they right in that he's abused his position? Uh, see, this this is this is the tricky one. Actually, a lot of Conservative MPs don't like him as a person, so he's had a lot of um, history in terms of being uh, difficult for the Tories to handle for a couple of decades now. So I wonder whether or not they're speaking out against him because of personal dislike or whether or not it is for speaker neutrality, which he has also been accused of before. So when he ran for Parliament, he wrote from the Speaker's office, but that was thrown out. I kind of agree. I mean, there was there was a, a petition, which is one of the largest petitions ever um, sent to Parliament, which where the British public said that they did not want um, Donald Trump speaking to the House of Commons, and Burkow then just responded. I personally agree with that. I think it was a nice gesture from us. I think it was one of the better things that we've done over the past 12 months. Um, was was it a nice gesture, or was it incre- diplomatically rude you know to say that on that setting surely well, look at we... Theresa, like i mean look at the way that donald trump treated Theresa may i mean well, he held her hand he, he holding was, her hand he was How, you know i'm sorry i thought that was one of the most sexist things i've ever seen was, her heels were probably quite yeah. high <laughs> and those white house steps were probably a little bit wet oh well I, I can't even respond to that. <laughs> it, has, it, has been, it has been exceedingly grey and rainy here since he's taken office. So that, there are some plausibilities. Oh, right. My opinion has changed completely. <laughs> no, don't don't say that. <laughs> no, I, I I really I really thought that the way that Donald Trump acted towards our you know not head of state but um, our prime executive. minister was incredibly patronising, and. Um, you know, say what you will about Theresa May, if we're kind of talking about gestures and the way that things look, then I'm more than happy for Burkow to then turn around and say what he said about Donald Trump. Um, but again, that is a, a very personal opinion. And um, yeah, wouldn't re- wouldn't really write about that in my on my platform, the Echo Chamber Club. <laughs> well, we will now move to the other side of the Atlantic because you know what, folks? There's been a few things happening there this week also. Oh, wow. Jeff Sessions will be sworn in as Attorney General this morning here at the White House, becoming the nation's top law enforcer. But it comes at the very same time that President Trump is again taking shots at one of the pillars of this country, an independent judiciary that administers the rule of law. President Trump got his man. The nomination is confirmed. The Senate late Wednesday confirming Attorney General Jeff Sessions. 
who's helped shape the president's policies, including on immigration. Sessions' opponents teeing off overnight. When Jeff Sessions was passed, it turned my stomach. He doesn't belong there, and I think a lot of Republicans know it. The fierce debate over Sessions putting Democrat Elizabeth Warren in the spotlight after Republicans formally silenced her for speaking negatively about her fellow senator. She was warned. Nevertheless, she persisted. That quote instantly becoming a rallying cry already on T-shirts. Hillary Clinton tweeting, she persisted, so must we all. But President Trump's latest critic, his own Supreme Court pick, Judge Neil Gorsuch. Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal revealing Gorsuch spoke to him about the president's criticism of fellow judges. He certainly expressed to me that he is disheartened by the demoralizing and abhorrent comments made by President Trump about the judiciary. Comments confirmed by a Gorsuch aide. All of it following Mr. Trump's tough talk about the three federal judges set to rule on the president's temporary travel ban. That was disgraceful. Courts seem to be so political. President Trump says the legal issue should be simple, that he acted within his power to protect national security. If you were a good student in high school or a bad student in high school, you can understand this. With Senator Warren being denied the right to read a letter from Coretta Scott King in the Senate debate of the confirmation of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, and we also had the confirmation of Betty DeVos needing a tiebreaker, does this signal a more robust stance from Democrats on the Hill against the new administration? Over to you in the D.C. area, Reggie Hubbard, go. I mean, I think that um, rather than it signaling a more robust uh, resistance, it's actually the action is taking place in the chamber now, right? So you have inauguration, and then you have a flurry of edicts coming uh, from His Excellency, uh, Mr. Trump, talking about how he wants to revolutionize the way government is done via fiat as opposed to the legislative process. Uh, so now that the legislative process is actually in motion with respect to uh, Senate confirmations and uh, Supreme Court nominees and those sorts of things, um, the light has shifted from inaugural activities to the actual uh, nuts and bolts working of Washington. So now that these things have taken place, um, and I think that uh, senators, those who would be inclined, and this is why I think that um, Ms. DeVos... But Reggie, stuck, let, let yeah. me just hold you there. Is that yeah. 100% true? Because yes, we had a flurry of executive orders, but we yeah. also did have the confirmation of, let's say, Ben Carson, Ugh. of which um, Senator Warren actually you know, adhered to. And, right. and it seems to me that in the last week, because of the, the mounting um, uproar from the Democratic, uh, let's say the liberal grassroots, let's call it the Democratic right. Party grassroots, that right. all of a sudden we kind of see Democratic senators being more strident in their opposition to these, uh, se uh, these confirmation hearings. Yeah, um, you, you took those words out of my mouth. So what I was going to say is that it seems as though um, and not only is it the protest, whether it be the Women's March um, on the weekend of inauguration, the spontaneous uh, protest that happened with respect to the Muslim ban last week at airports across the nation. Um, a lot of congressmen and senators have held town halls since then. Um, so they've gone back to their districts um, and solicited opinion from the represent representatives. And people have showed up hopping mad, not only in Democratic districts, but also in Republican districts. Um, so the congressional switchboard has been shut down for people calling and, and demanding people 
uh, be voted against and those sorts of things. And so the one thing that works in our system is that when the people speak to the representatives, uh, representatives take note, right? So I think that people are emboldened, but some of them might actually be scared because um, I think this moment has the potential to be a liberal flashpoint in the same way that the Tea Party was in 2010 because people are so angry and so mobilized um, that it's like a, a switch has been flipped. And uh, if people who are in office now don't stand up for what people want, they'll vote them out too. Um, we talked about this briefly, Alice, in the last uh, Mid-Atlantic, but I'd like to get your take on it. Can us Remainers in the UK, can we take heart from our American cousins in terms of uh, political action on the street, demonstrating in numbers, not just petitions to, to the House of Commons? Uh, are they basically showing us how we can not necessarily reverse Article 50 and the Brexit vote, but at least try and get better concessions out of the UK government in terms of our negotiations with the EU? Oh, so now you're making me wish I'd done a piece of research, which I've been wanting to do for about 10 days now, which is I really want to do some research into UK history as to when the last protest was actually successful in changing um, the minds of Parliament, because I've been thinking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's exactly it. And um, I, I reckon it was decades ago. I mean, mm. I'm happy to be proven wrong there. Um, but I really feel that um, there was an amazing Guardian article actually written about two or three weeks ago, which was saying that protests are now. No, to be fair, not... to be fair. Um, before you go into that, the poll tax. Okay. Those demonstrations in the late eighties. Though the talk, yeah, so it's about yeah two three decades ago. So the Tory government at the time did go through with them meekly, but they were substantively kind of rolled back in in lots and lots of different areas. So those massive demonstrations against the poll tax and the poll tax rights did, even though it went through as soon as uh, we had a change of government, they that you know they were lost. Um, sure, sure. But I'm, I'm talking about, you know, since the Iraq war, you know, since mm. the student protests over um, student fee rises, like these are key protests that have happened in the UK recently. And they've said that students haven't been quite so politically mobilised. And perhaps we weren't when I was at university. Um, but I, I, I would be I, I'm really interested in learning what dissent looks like in a digital world. And I don't feel like I think feel, I feel like protests right now are the sort of thing that everyone goes away, feels really good about themselves, but actually don't achieve that much. And, and I was going to say that there's this amazing Guardian article written about two or three weeks ago, which was saying that protests are now symbolic gestures of activism rather than activism itself, um, because it's not the case that people are getting into and having access to politicians after these protests. I mean, the laws created, I think, 15 years ago, um, totally meant um that i think it was like increased police um presence at protests um essentially meaning that they couldn't be disruptive which is the only way that these things really cause any damage so um that's my that's my opinion on protests at the moment i don't know whether or not we should be taking heart from what's happening in america or we should be just looking at other ways to get a political point across in a digital world um i, I don't know if i agree with you miss thwaite because 
um, surely what the Tea Party have taught the the left is that you don't you not only show up but you do go to uh, town hall meetings. Yes, okay, we don't have the town hall meeting within the UK. But the the same thing, the analogy would be to turn up to MPs surgeries and act and absolutely to dominate the news uh, agenda. So it does put uh, pressure on politicians, first politicians in um, marginal seats, etc. And that you, you completely change the climate and the narrative that way. It's not that we need to necessarily throw Molotov cocktails at uh, charging police horses, but it's an absolute show of numbers. And the one thing which has been absolutely stark and present for me is viewing um, that with the Muslim ban, there were demonstrations in Birmingham airport, not Birmingham, Alabama, but Birmingham in the Midlands, ostensibly about a US policy. And it seems to have wow. mobilised and galvanised uh, progressives, lefties, uh, you know, bleeding heart liberals, whatever you want to call us, um, in, in the UK. And then I, I, and I think it's not by accident then that you have this big march planned uh, for March before uh, the Brexit vote. Tell me I'm wrong, so, Alice. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's a bad thing that people care a lot more about politics at all. And I don't think it's a bad thing that people are trying to engage their MPs instead of just le- le- like leaving it to their own will, like we kind of have done for the last 15 years. We, we were completely apathetic. Um, there was nothing to fight for. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that there must be more intelligent ways to express dissent against a system, something that is more effective than simply um, protesting um, in large, large numbers. And yes, that does, do you know what I love about it is it gives a message to the world that people care about women, they care about Muslims, they care about tolerance, they care about all these values which we really need to discuss and hold on to. But am I convinced that it will lead to any sort of political change? Not so much purely because of the history of what's gone on for the last 15 years, Having said that as well, though, um, you know, I, I do think we've got to be careful about the things that we protest against and show up, show up against as well, because this immigration ban was illegal. It was completely illegal. And um, the US also has um, these kind of safety checks to ensure that nothing like that can go through um, Congress or, you know, be made law. And now, so what I... are the things that are going Oh, you will probably know more about this, actually, than I will, Reggie, but there there are safety checks in there. So I'd I'd actually be interested to find out what you think. I really think the things that should be protested and and thrown up right now are these things that might stand a chance of, like the stealth things that stand a chance of getting through. And these, um, like, like for example, I mean, this is tomorrow's newsletter, but um, the Official Secrets Act is due to be um, rehauled and called the Espionage um, Act, and it's currently going through the Law Commission, and they're asking for the public... Um, consultation on what that should look like and it has huge repercussions for privacy, for whistleblowers um, for freedom of speech here in the UK and it wasn't even covered in the Guardian even now is the time that we should be given public consultation they're actively asking us so why aren't we going out and forced to do something that can be changed now rather than something that won't happen or has already happened if you see what I mean so that's, that's, that's my that's my take on everything that's going on right now and, and also some of my frustrations. All right. Yeah, let me challenge let me challenge your cynicism really quickly. Like as someone who's been on the 
front lines of American electoral politics for the past 12 years. Like, protest in and of itself, to your point, is not effective. But protest as catharsis is effective, but it also has to serve as a catalyst. So to your point, you can't have one without the other. So if you have a huge protest and then find a way of digitally incorporating people, whether it be through social media or online activism and those sorts of things, one begets the other because the momentum that you get from a, a, a protest fuels engagement and activism and excitement and those sorts of things. And so I wouldn't, I would, I would ask you to just be a little less pessimistic on that because if you don't stand up, then nothing happens, right? So it's about using those moments while they may be symbolic and cathartic, but also that can be the catalyst that people need to get engaged. Um, so as a tool for online organizing, getting people together via old school means, I think is, 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 is the necessity. And in terms of the checks and balances, like um, we're going to see whether or not the uh, founding fathers got it right, because um, Bannon, President Trump, and um, the people that support Did you get them, that the right way around? Wasn't it President Bannon and then Trump? I mean, you'll never catch me on air saying that, but that may be what I believe. Um, <laughs> uh, right. Um, they are, it's a frontal assault on everything that uh, is considered you know, status quo in terms of governmental operations. So the beautiful thing has been the legal uh, community challenging the law because that, in our system, the Congress, the president, and the judicial system are all equal. Um, and we'll see, we'll see how that plays out, right? Because, you know, the president has the bully pulpit uh, to say whatever he wants, um, and he's using that but quite effectively. But, but, and does somebody, it, but, but here's, here's the thing, though. Does he actually have the right to say whatever he wants? Because there are norms, aren't there? And if all branches of government are technically equal, um, there are, there's a certain level of language and civic uh, niceties of which a president, even if he disagrees with what the judiciary have done, addresses that issue. And it seems to me that what... Uh, President Trump is doing is ripping that up and in effect yeah, that's, undermining that's, that's that branch of government. Yeah. But, yeah. No, but, but, but there's two things. Number one, there is specifically the, the Muslim ban or the ban from seven countries. No, I then, said Bannon. I oh know. Go with yeah. me on this. But then, okay. which is written by Bannon and the other acolyte whose name escapes me right, right now, Stephen something or another. Then there is... Um, the president's reaction to the stays of the ban, which right. is um, unprecedented for him to say yeah. things like so-called judges. Right. Um, again, that's why I said this is the probably the biggest, the next four years um, will be the biggest test of American democracy that we've had in our, in our entire history. Um, because we haven't had an executive branch that was a perfect combination of hubris, negligence, Reggie, narcissism, you, you, you and You can't say neglect. the next four years are going to be bigger than the knock that the U.S. took in, during the Civil War. Let's not have um, any left-wing hyperbole here. Um, I said in recent memory, though. Um, I mean, in the history of the Republic, I mean, it's definitely not as badly. Nope. Let's hope that it doesn't end that way. But, like, that's a different thing as well. Like, that... Uh, we have not had an executive branch that has been this rogue and so willing to do whatever it wants, um, irrespective of 
what will be considered cultural, civic, or governmental norms. Uh, the Civil War was a manifestation of um, a well of slavery and and the curse that that was on the nation. Um, and in Lincoln used the power of the executive to bring people together. This administration is using the power of the executive to splinter and devalue and delegitimize certain institutions. We haven't had that ever. The court finds that for purposes of the entry of the temporary restraining order, that the state has met its burden of demonstrating that it faces immediate and irreparable injury as a result of the signing and implementation of the executive order. I find that the state has satisfied the test that it is likely to succeed on the merits of the claim which would entitle them to relief. I find that the balance of equities favor the states. And lastly, I find that a temporary restraining order is in the public interest. If I were to apply the Ninth Circuit's alternative test, um, I would find that the states have established a question, a serious question going to the merits and that the balance of equities tips sharply in their favor. As such, I find that the court should and will grant the temporary restraining order. So Alice, with uh, President Trump's executive order regarding the Muslim ban being challenged and then his response, um, going back to, to Reggie's point, how incendiary is it in terms of American civic norms? Is it actually an attack on the judiciary? And is it significant that we have his nomination for the Supreme Court actually saying that his comments were worrying? Are we setting up there to be a clash between the executive and the judiciary? Or is this just a case of, it's just bluster, let's not worry? Oh, I don't know how qualified I am to answer that because my, um, my, uh, my knowledge of kind of the history of American politics probably isn't as good as either yours or Reggie's. Um, but judging how what Trump has been like over the past year or so, um, I would say that most of it is, well, actually, what I thought of Trump, I'll have to admit, before he actually took government was that he was a lot of bluster. I thought that he, we might go back to a Trump as was seen in like 2001, you know, someone who's a little bit more liberal, clearly, you know, a Democrat turning up for Clinton's wedding anniversary and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I've been quite, I will say, quite surprised by um, some of the things he's done and also kind of the reaction of the alt-right, like Milo Yiannopoulos' checklist about the things that he said he will do and then the things he says he's done. I'm starting to wonder whether or not we can take Donald Trump at his word. And I've been to a couple of press events where people are starting to say, well, you definitely can. But at the same time, he, you know, he, he speaks highly and lowly of everyone, but it's impossible to know what he thinks on anything. And, you know, going back to that point about Bannon, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one kind of pulling the strings on this kind of front. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't know enough to say how incendiary it is towards the judiciary. Um, but when it comes to whether or not Trump is all bluster, I think it's impossible to second guess him right now. Let's end up with you, uh, Reggie Hubbard, over there in D.C. Yes. If you're a Democratic congressman, um, sat in a district where, let's say, uh, you you won by five points, or you're a Democratic senator. Are you worried about the next eighteen months? Are you are you looking forward to to, to twenty eighteen? 
or, um, are, or are you worried about uh, the base forcing you to be an obstructionist with this administration? So on the one yeah. hand, let, 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 let me slightly rephrase that. Are you chilled right. out, smoking a Havana cigar, saying, well, my majority is going to be increased, my position is safe, or are you saying I need to be a, a hell no Democrat obstructing government, it's going to put pressure on me, this is going to make me look bad? I mean, I think as you've seen by the way that some people have responded to uh, some of their district uh, meetings, that people feel the need to be a little more vocal. Um, I think that uh, there's a very real challenge, uh, potentially, with a lot of, because I've seen this in my friend group. Uh, like, in my friend group, I was the guy, that I've worked on uh, many campaigns, uh, three presidential and one uh, large gubernatorial and, and worked for the party. So I was always the political friend who did all the operative things. I've got friends now who are considering running for office and have never talked like that before. And these are people with credentials, um, and the ability to raise money that if they come up with a message, they may actually go for it, right? So if this is the case within my friend group, which is admittedly selective, um, I'm sure that's happening elsewhere because people have had it. Um, so I think that uh, if I were a party operative um, seeking to redraw the map, I would be excited. If I were in office um, and in a swing district and not really in keeping with the wishes of my constituency, I'd be a little, I'd be a little nervous, um, and/or excited about actually doing your job, right? So responding to will, responding to the will of the people is the job of a representative. Uh, so you can either look at it one way. You can look at it as a, you can look at it as a threat, or as an opportunity to actually be in an exciting time to be a representative. Don't hedge your bets. Don't don't sit on that newly built Trump wall on the Mexican border. Is it a threat or an opportunity? What's your gut? Uh, the wall? Oh, you, you, you need to stand against that. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I really hope that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just so stupid. I mean, it's not like we have any other pressing needs in the United States. Like, you know, our bridges sure. are falling apart. Um, our schools are top-notch in the world and the global economy. Okay, but you know what? That, 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 that's a very good point. That's a very good point, okay? In that Donald Trump has gone against Republican Party orthodoxy of the last 30 years, that there can be large government spending. He wants there to be infrastructure spending on a large scale. You're a Democratic uh, senator or congressman, and he's going to build that bridge build that, uh, you know, re repave that road in your district, you can't go against that, can you? That's a tough one, right? Because, you know, people people understand the government functions by seeing projects in district with, like, bright orange signs saying, this brought to you by the American Recovery Act or those sorts of things. Uh, it would be a challenge to say no to that um, if it is genuine infrastructure, the wall, I think is a no brainer. Um, but if it's a genuine infrastructure improvement, I think that's a bit of a challenge because it's overdue and it's a political win for you, which also unfortunately would also result in a political win for the president. So, do you not think though on that point though, that it's about time that, you know, by, by showing that Democrats are willing to kind of bypass politics and vote for the projects that make sense for the economy, then also you'd be winning in terms of 
straight politics, right? Not politics for politics sake. And I feel like that's a message that has been received by the UK and the US recently is they're kind of sick of, of people playing with policy because of the upper hand that it has either in Parliament or in, right. in Congress. So right. in my mind, I think you definitely should vote for those things and also talk about why you're doing it. Um, yeah, again, I mean, I, that's just I, opinion. I agree with that. I think that um, the challenge is, though, the base is so angry that some of them are not thinking rationally. So that, that's the political conundrum. Um, if it's appropriately messaged, to your point, Alice, that is like a win, 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 right? So we're, we're, we're willing to work across aisles. We're willing to bring this to the local community. We're willing to show that we can bury the hatchet and do this on things with the common interest. I mean, I think that would have a broader effect for the individual politician. Um, for the presidency in 2020, that might be a bit of a challenge, but that's a long way away. But it, I think kind of interestingly, and this is the reason why this is so confusing for us, um, for us all at the moment, whether you're on the, on the right or the left. So, Alice, you said that people are fed up of politics for politics' sake, but that's the reason why Donald Trump got in, wasn't it? Because he didn't sound... Uh, like like a politician now you have him in office and people are saying you're, he's not competent and and actually he's speaking out of turn and potentially his tweets are uh, setting threat up, to national security right absolutely setting him up for future impeachment creating tensions within the framework of actually how the country is actually structured so you've got to be careful what what, what we sure. wish for here Sure. But, you know, I, I'm actually thinking about when was it? Was it uh, 2010 when the Conservatives voted down the Liberal Democrats um, changes to the way, you know, we've got the first past the post system here in mm -hmm. the UK and the Liberal Democrats wanted to change that. And the Tories kind of voted it down to punish Nick Clegg for not, um, uh, I can't remember which policy it was that he, he disagreed with the Tories on, but that was definitely definitely politics for politics sake and i think that the uk would be much better off if we didn't have a first past the post system and i think that's that view is kind of prevalent throughout a lot of um well certainly of my friendship group and um if we're talking about friendship groups but also a lot of um the rhetoric that's coming from young people in general here in the uk so that's the kind of thing that i'm saying is that when something is clearly good and it's something that the people want then i think it's very important for politicians not just to vote against it because they think it might look bad further down the line i think that people should be acting on behalf of the people rather in their in the interests of their own self-interest whereas donald trump's tweets are a completely different argument and um, that's I, what i think I, I don't know about that alice but i would say the best argument against tearing up the first past the post system in the uk was our parliament from 2010 to 2015 because on the face of it, uh, the Liberals in coalition, the Lib Dems in coalition, got precious little from that. And they were seen as reneging on their one election pledge that they said they would absolutely do if they got into power, which would not increase student fees. And that was done straight away. And that's the reason why they were decimated in the 2015 election. So we've this, had... this, this is going off topic. I think the one thing that we have learned and politicians should have learned from um, 2016 is that the people want politicians to act on behalf of the people and not. Yeah, just do your job. Any... Yeah, exactly. Do your job. <laughs> do your job. And I think that more, more and more, if, if politicians do start acting in the interest of the people, then they will be rewarded for that. 
Um, and I think that is something that kind of people voted for when they voted for Trump. And, and let's, let's bear in mind that everyone who voted for Trump probably didn't want to vote for the whole of Trump in the same way right. that people who voted for Clinton didn't want to vote for the whole of Clinton. But you make right. a binary choice, right? Again, with what happened with Brexit and fingers crossed won't happen with Marine Le Pen in, in France. That is the overwhelming message that we're getting. So if I was a politician right now, that would be the message that I'd be receiving from yeah. um, the public. Alice, I think you raised an interesting point, which is the one hope that I have politically is that in this uh, seemingly wanton destruction in our in, on our side and the interesting Brexit conversations on your side, that people with a little bit of political courage can find the, a way to reach across the aisle and not view that in a partisan sense, but view that in a way of serving the public. And as a result, will curry political favor in that way from the people as opposed to the establishment. That's that's my hope, that people will see that opportunity to work across lines and not view it as a punitive measure, but actually be rewarded by the electorate. Do you know what, and, and that completely echoes, and I wish I could remember her name, I can't remember whether or not she was a politician or um, a candidate, and she said that she wanted to, re- to represent the people in Westminster, she didn't want to represent Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Westminster to the people. And that, for me, just hit the nail on the head. I love that. Yeah. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. I mean, I was eight years old, interesting, the same age as the uh, Dragon King's daughter when she comes out of the sea. But um, well, what was happening to me when I was eight years old was that I was at the hands of a paedophile in, um, in a classroom for a year. And... Awesome. Yeah. Um, for me, I... Well, and I think the reason that I somehow managed to, to win in the end is that, for me, it's about an economy of the three things that bring a song together. Catch up with me speaking to friends and interesting people every Friday afternoon on Friday 15, which you can get, of course, from a podcatcher of your choice. So after that stirring debate, uh, it's time for takeaways of the week before we wrap the show up. Reggie Hubbard in Washington, D.C. What's been your standout thing of the last seven days? In five 
time, we will uh, celebrate uh, globally the commercial phenomenon known as Valentine's Day. And uh, last <laughs> week, um, in the aftermath of Donald Trump's ban on Muslim uh, immigration, I wrote a Facebook post uh, at basically as a tribute to Muslim youth that I taught as a civics instructor for the Department of State. Um, essentially articulating my reasons against the Muslim ban, but from a humanitarian perspective, because I taught Muslim youth the American civic system. Um, and the response, it occurred to me like after one of my yoga classes that no one is talking to these youth. So everyone's like, oh my goodness, like this sucks for America. But what about the Muslim youth who came to America under a different ethos and now seeing this after having spent like a year or two years here? And the overwhelming response that I got from those kids showed me that true love never fails. Um, when I was a teacher to those kids, I told them that I would always be there for them. And my musing, uh, basically, some of them were like, I really needed to hear this. Thank you. And those sorts of things. And so it was encouraging to me that some kids that I haven't seen in three or four years were able to respond so positively to my offering of love to them in a time of craziness. So love, true love never fails um, is my takeaway for the week. Reggie, how the hell are we going to compete with that? <laughs> that? That was hardly oh, fair. we're British. We're British. We're going to say something yeah, really like, crap. Like, yeah, I, speak, I, I speak a bastardized version of English, so you, you got it, man. Like, it's <laughs> I will never come out as a takeaway for the week saying true love. <laughs> Never fail. Alice, Alice, wait. See if you can compete with that. Uh, well, I think I've just established that I can't, but I, I actually have been doing a, a fair bit of work this last month looking at social impacts and um, impact investing in family offices and family businesses. And it's really encouraging to see how um, my generation, Generation Millennial, um, is starting to shape the way that wealth is... Um, kind of dispersed and how that transfer of worth is wealth is moving from um you know baby boomers across to um initiatives that have perhaps more social impact as well as financial repercussions in these family offices so um i see that as very encouraging and it's something and a wider trend that should be definitely looked into by anyone who um has got a significant amount of wealth to pass on <laughs> um so yeah, take a look at impact investing and, and speak to your financial advisor about it. Crumbs, that sounds like you and yours are money box on, on Radio 4, but very, <laughs> very sensible, very sensible. Now, mine, my, my takeaway, and I think I might have actually done this on the very first Mid-Atlantic about three, four years ago. Um, uh, Sampa Sisse. Um, Sampa is a British songwriter, record producer from South London, and he's kind of widely known for his collaborative work with Subtract. And he just has the most beautiful voice. Um, he's got a new album out at the moment where he's kind of playing uh, the piano. And I just, this man's voice just takes me to places which I, I didn't know existed. So, that's my takeaway that 2017 is going to be the year of Sampa and it's somebody who I followed his work with Subtract for about the last five, six years. But now he's working with Drake, he's working with uh, kind of Kanye West, he's working, working with everybody and it uh, hasn't come a moment too soon. Young guy, uh, great voice. Sampa, 
the voice of 2017. This has been um, kind of a new and exciting uh, Mid-Atlantic. I've said to the team, uh, dear listener, that you might be getting us on, on a weekly basis until the foreseeable future, whilst there is just so much news on both sides of the Atlantic. But Alice Thwaite, as our newbie, why don't you tell people how they can find you on social media and what you're up to at the moment before we go? Yeah, sure. So um, my Twitter handle is Alice L Thwaite. Thwaite is a uh, is a Yorkshire name that not many people know how to spell, and it's sometimes when they spell it, they spell it quite offensively. So it's T H W A I T E. Wow! Nice. Wow! <laughs> and why don't you tell us about the echo chamber very quickly? Uh, yeah, so I, I run a, a um, I suppose you could call it a media brand, but I'd like to get a bit more into intelligence called the Echo Chamber Club. And what we do is we target liberal, progressive, metropolitans, anyone who would kind of say that they hold the centre ground, whether or not that's centre right, centre left. And um, we do two things. So the first is we send out a weekly newsletter that disrupts the news that you will have likely seen in your social feeds as a centrist and provide a completely different perspective. So um, we've kind of characterized that into four types of content. Some is dark side of the moon content. So dark side of the moon content means that it's from a completely different group. So we did one on pro-life feminism recently, something that many pro-choice feminists wouldn't have heard about. Um, other content is kind of Sherpa Tenzing content. So the sort of stuff that you only need a guide to see, you won't find it unless um, someone tells you about it. And that, for example, we had a, a young, Scottish um, academic who um, spoke about what's going on in Scotland, not according to Nicola Sturgeon, which was fantastic. And we also do a bit of um, investigation, so fact checking. Um, and we also kind of try and disrupt what we have just called um, the indisputables. So ideas that really go outside anything that we would ever question normally. So um, for example, is Putin really so bad? <laughs> Um, and then the other side to what the Echo Chamber Club is all about is we do a podcast which talks about what centrist values really should be. So if you stand up for equality, what does equality mean? And we had people like the head of trans inclusion at Stonewall who talked about what equality means to her. Someone like Claire Fox who spoke about exactly what humanism should mean in 2017 as opposed to... Because when people talk about humanism, everyone assumes that they know what it is, but getting into the detail of it, um, hopefully we're going to have an ex-convict come in and talk about justice very soon. Roy Field, you were on the show as well. We spoke about um, race and class and how those demarcations should be discussed in a modern time. So that's what the Echo Chamber Club is all about. It's a, a political and social channel for centrists. Crumbs. That is a pre pretty comprehensive. Ju just before we go on to uh, you, Reggie, uh, just to wrap things up, um, I'm currently reading The Prisoners of Geography, which is a book I got for, pri uh, for prison, for, for Christmas, sorry. And uh, the first chapter is about the geopolitical state of Russia and actually how Putin, everything that he does is totally rational, very understandable, and actually what he is is a Russian first and foremost and actually he isn't that bad at all and if you understand it in terms of the geopolitical uh, position of Russia it makes complete and utter sense so I just, you just reminded me of that uh, with you saying is Putin all that bad Reggie Hubbard over to you sir how can people find you on social media what you up to other than yoga uh, other than yoga and uh, writing in my journal exclusively 
this weekend, I'll be headed to a Democratic Party forum in Baltimore, Maryland. The uh, chair's race happens in two weeks. Um, so I'm going to sneak my head in and see what the uh, pulse is on the race. And hopefully next time I talk to you, I'll have a little bit more insight into what's happening with respect to the resurrection, hopefully, of the Democratic Party. Uh, can be found on Facebook at Reginald Hubbard. Uh, and Twitter is O Reggie Global, or in Portuguese, which is my the, t- the language of my heart, is O Reggie Global. You are romantic. Um, that is such a <laughs> Brazilian Portuguese is just the most beautiful language when it's sung. I just, you know, I agree. Jazz and samba, and just it just sounds the absolute best. But anyway, we'll talk about that maybe in, in another Mid Atlantic along with yoga. If you can be bothered to read my uh, grammatically incorrect, poorly spelt, spelt tweets, uh, you can find me at Royfield on the Twitters. Um, currently, I'm just creating a whole load of podcasts. Uh, I'll tell you what you can do, dear listener. Please go onto iTunes and write us a five star review. If you think we deserve four stars, give us four stars uh we'll accept that as well but please go on to itunes write us a review because um we are putting a lot of work into mid-atlantic to get it back up those itunes podcast charts you can also find us specifically um on the twitters where we are mid-atlantic show also we are mid-atlantic show on book of base see you all again in seven days time Think about it too much, too much, too much, too much There's no need for us to rush this through Don't think about it too much, too much, too much, too much This is more than just a new lust for you Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Ah, there's no to run. 